Pastor John, you are a language guy, and I love that. But given the profound connections between marital intimacy and the relationship of Christ with the church in Ephesians chapter 5, you said recently of, of marital intimacy in episode 278, quote, We should be amazed that our Savior chose to describe his relationship with the church with a parable of such exquisite pleasure, end quote. So given that, just how valuable is the Song of Solomon in articulating the intimate language of the church's relationship to Christ? Or is this a misuse of the text? <laughs> this, is, this is risky um, to, to make statements about the Song of Solomon. Um, in the history of the church, it has been treated mainly as an allegory of Christ's love for the church and God's love for his people. Uh, in modern times, where our sensibilities are a little different, it has been treated mainly as a very sensuous love song between Solomon and his bride. Um, what makes it so risky is how explicit the sensuousness is. Um, your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled by lilies. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle. Chapter 4, verse 5. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. <laughs> That's pretty. That, I mean, this is unmistakable pictures of the sexual delights between a man and his wife you, you, there's no uh, there's no escaping that so but but let's just make sure we don't isolate this kind of language in the song of solomon as if uh it must be allegorical because that kind of language uh is used in proverbs as a command to young husbands Look, chapter 5, verse 18, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why would you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So that's Proverbs. <laughs> so it, it's not as though... Uh, this this book, Song of Solomon, is in some world of its own uh, in dealing with explicit sexual enjoyments between a husband and wife. The, the rest of the Bible can point in that direction as well, sometimes with remarkable explicitness. Here's, here's another issue. Even if the Song of Solomon is treated as allegorical, Solomon would not use sin to signify the relationship between God and his bride. In a sense, it's even more striking, if it is allegorical, that we should uh, use such graphic, that Solomon would use such graphic sexual language to think of our relationship with God. I don't think that blunts or lessens the remarkable sexual implications for husband and wife because uh, it's used in reference to God. So even if you do take it as an allegory, you have a, a remarkable uh, explicitness about what is in the bedroom of a godly man and wife. Now, here's the main thing I think I'd want to say. The Song of Solomon confronts us with the challenge not 
just of literary allegory, but life allegory. This is the main thing. Here's what I mean. Uh, It calls us to look into and through the physical pleasures of sex, both in Solomon's song and in our bedroom. In other words, it's, it's not just that this song is really physical and also points to something spiritual in relationship to God and the church, but that life is physical and points to something spiritual. In other words, the literary sex and the real sex are both allegorical. God, God didn't just give us the Song of Solomon to show us something of his love. He gave us sex to show us something of his love. So what I, what I want to stress is that the person who is fit to interpret the Song of Solomon is the person who in real life has the spiritual depth and sensitivities and wisdom to see in real sex the realities of joy in relation to Christ. If you, if you, come, to, if you come to the Song of Solomon without having read life as allegorical, that is, life as pointing to the glories of union with Christ, you're probably going to stomp all over this beautiful poem like you've got spikes on instead of slippers. It's, it's uh, not going to be very fruitful. In other words, this is not for children. <laughs> to get this right, this is not for men and women for whom sexual intercourse is merely a one-dimensional flight of passion. If, that, if that's all you have is a, in, in your bedroom is a one-dimensional flight of physical passion, you're not fit to read the Song of Solomon. Because it is that, but way more than that. Because life is way more than that. The Song of Solomon will be handled well by those who know that sexual relations really, not just in literature, sexual relations is a picture of something glorious. And it's no less physical for that uh, any more than the heavens that proclaim the glory of God are less physical when they do. So I just want to kind of plead for uh, people to go deep into all of life as a parable of Christ and his church, and then they might be fit to handle a literary description of sexuality the way they should. Good. Thank you, Pastor John. And for more on this connection, see the book Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, and especially chapters 1 and 2 by Pastor John. You can download the entire book free of charge at DesiringGod.org. Go to the website, click on books, and then find the title, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. Tomorrow, a young woman aspiring to marriage and aspiring to the mission field asks if it's permissible to be a married but childless missionary by design. We'll talk about that tomorrow. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening.